Uh, this morning, we are going to be looking at two different texts and comparing them, and that's 1 Samuel 1 and Luke chapter 1. So if you would turn in your Bibles to those two passages, we're not going to have a standalone scripture reading because I just want to point things out as we go back and forth. So if you don't have your Bible with you, the Blue Pew Bible, 1 Samuel, which is the book that we've been studying uh, for the fall, page 225, the very beginning, chapter 1, and Luke chapter 1, we'll be looking at Hannah and Mary, 1 Samuel 1, Luke chapter 1. Question, where in the Bible is the first recorded announcement of Jesus' birth. Where in the Bible is the first recorded announcement of Jesus' birth? Now, this is the answer to all my questions. If you've been here, where, what is it? Genesis chapter 3. I mean, you're going to get a 90 if you just put that on every question I a- ask. Because so much of, of, of what's happening throughout the rest of the Bible starts in Genesis chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 15, the Lord is putting a curse on the serpent who has tempted Adam and Eve. And he says this, I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And her seed will eventually crush your head and you will strike his heel. So her seed is a masculine form of that word, and it's her son. She's going to, some woman is going to give birth to a son, and this son is going to have, in a way that Eve probably couldn't even imagine, he's going to have the power to crush the, the sin and destruction and the shame of Satan. But in that crushing, he's going to be bitten. Not, not fatally, but he's going to be wounded as well. The great preacher from England, Charles Spurgeon, said this about Genesis 3.15. Here is the first gospel sermon ever delivered upon the surface of the earth. Therein lies within it, as an oak lies within an acorn, all the great truths which make up the gospel of Christ. So you see what Spurgeon was saying. Here's an acorn in Genesis 3.15, and it's going to grow over time, and we're going to see it in its fullness when we get to Luke chapter 1. Now, I want to pause here and make it clear, because I think it's always helpful, especially around Advent season, to make clear what Genesis 3 actually promises. The Bible states in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It means we've missed the mark. We, we haven't actually aimed at the mark. We're, we're, we're living our lives in ways that aren't God-glorifying. For the most part, we live our lives for self-glorification. And I'm assuming that if you had any time to think at all, it wouldn't take you very long to think of a time that what you said or what you did wasn't God-glorifying. You know in your heart you've, you've missed the mark in some way. And so, according to the Bible, we're all in trouble. Now, the word Satan means accuser. So, on the day that you will have and I will have, we will one day stand face to face with our Creator, the Almighty, Awesome, Holy God. 
and we will have to give an account for our lives. And it'll feel like, the Bible describes it a little bit like a trial. God's the ultimate judge. You're on the stand. And there's going to be a, a somebody who's witnessing against you. It's going to be Satan, and he's going to be accusing you in front of God of all the things that he can remember, and he can remember them all, of what you've done. Fortunately and thankfully, and this is the good news, Colossians chapter 2 beautifully describes what God did for those who trust in him. This is what God says. When Jesus died on the cross, the record of your sin and debt that stood against you, God canceled it by nailing it to a cross. That's awesome news. Canceled. And then he finishes this, God disarmed and triumphed over Satan through Jesus. So on the cross, what happened is God saw that we couldn't pay the penalty So he came to pay the penalty. And all of our sin that we could rightfully be accused of got nailed to the cross. So if you think of a a whiteboard and it just had all the sins of all the things that you've said and you've done, think about how big your whiteboard might have to be. When Jesus comes and dies on your behalf, it's like God just erases the entire whiteboard. And so as you stand there in front of God, this whiteboard is there completely white. And when Satan tries to accuse you of something, God can just say, yeah, I paid for that one. That's the good news of the gospel. So all of the sin, and let's think about, you think about that sin that somehow you just feel like, I don't know if God can cover that sin He can cover that sin. And when that sinks all the way down to your soul, then I say, Merry Christmas. That's that's the greatest gift you can ever give. Because when you realize right now you cannot stand accused before God because of Jesus, then you live such a much more free life in your mind, in your soul, in your life because he has paid it all. And so we, we want to make sure when we think about Genesis 3 how great the news is, even though it's in an acorn form, that God's going to send a son who's going to take care of the problem that we have caused. Now let's unpause. That was pretty good. That's a worthwhile pause right there. So let's unpause and get back to Genesis 3.15. Now, starting in Genesis 3.15, all of creation is leaning forward. They've just, been, they've just heard an announcement. A woman is going to give birth to a son. So they're all leaning forward. And we as Bible readers, we're all leaning forward saying, some woman is going to come along and give birth to a son who's going to take care of this problem of sin. And we're looking for that. And we're looking for this seed of the woman. And all through the Old Testament, there are types or shadows that point to the kind of son that's actually going to arrive. Now, I think it's helpful to just think of it, and this is what's helpful for me to think about it this way. Think of the cross as a big tree. 
And the sun is over here. This is God's knowledge. And he's shining it on this tree. And what would be behind the tree? A, a shadow. And so think of the Old Testament as a shadow. You could learn a lot about the cross from the tree by looking at the shadow. You can't see it all, but you could say, well, it's kind of it's got a skinny base and it blossoms out at the top. There's lots of things you could pick up. And then when you come towards the cross, you could say, well, that I've been seeing this all along. I've been watching this shadow. So then when you bump into the tree, you go, yes, this is it, because I've seen all these clues in the Old Testament that have been laid down. And so 1 Samuel is a great place that you see a lot of shadows. And what I want to do this morning, since we've been going through the book of 1 Samuel, is just to pick out some shadows that happen in Hannah's life and the birth of Samuel and compare them to the reality of Mary's life and the birth of Jesus. Does that make sense? So we've got these Old Testament shadows. We're going to look at them and compare them to the reality of Mary and Jesus. So I'm going to point out four comparisons. Number one, Hannah. Hannah's name means favored one. She's favored. She's favored by God to bring in Samuel, bring Samuel into the world. And this son that she's going to bring in, he's going to usher in a whole new kingdom. Remember, Samuel's the last judge, and he is the one who actually anoints David to be the king. So he's bringing in this new era of authority. And we know from 2 Samuel, God then makes a covenant with David that says this, David's house and David's kingdom will endure forever. His throne will be established forever. So just to make sure it's clear in our mind, highly favored Hannah brings forth a son who is the key to a new kingdom. Highly favored Hannah brings forth a son who's the key to a new kingdom. Now you see the shadows already? You can, you can begin to pick this up already. Mary, we're going to fast forward now 1,000 years. If you look with me in chapter uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, an angel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, greetings, oh, what? favored one. Okay, you see, if you're reading through the Bible, if you could read it or see it as one whole story, you'd say, I've heard this sound before. Where have I heard David connected to a favored woman? Well, you would say it's back in the life of Hannah. And Mary wonders in verse 29, well, what does this highly favored mean? Verse 31, and behold, this is what it means to be favored from the angel to Mary. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. All these shadows that are pregnant in 1 Samuel, they give birth in Luke chapter 1. Hannah is the shadow which points to Mary. Second comparison. Both Hannah and Mary give, uh, give birth miraculously. Let me just refresh your memory on Hannah. 
1 Samuel chapter 1, you remember she was married to a guy named Elkanah. And Elkanah actually had two wives, Hannah and Penina. And back in those days, <coughs> to not, ha- not to be able to conceive when you were married brought on shame. And Hannah, she couldn't conceive. Try as they may, she just couldn't get pregnant. But Paniah could get pregnant, and Paniah was the kind of person who liked to rub Hannah's nose in her shame. So, so Paniah was always picking at Hannah, saying, see, you can't have children, but I can. So she was always reminding Hannah of the shame in her heart. However, we know from chapter 1, verse 5, it says this twice, the Lord had closed Hannah's womb. So Hannah understood that the Lord is sovereignly in control over whether she's going to give birth or not. So one day she's in the temple and she's desperately crying out in prayer, Lord, would you give me a son? 1 Samuel 11, 1 verse 11. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but give your servant a son. In the Hebrew, that's the word seed. Okay, here's a woman who's praying for a son. Specifically, it's not just a birth of any child. I want a seed. I want a son. God answers her prayer. She returns home. She and Elkanah get together and they conceive and she gives birth to Samuel. So Hannah prays for a miraculous birth. She prays for a son who would take away her shame. Hear it again. A woman gives birth to take away shame. Who's this talking about? So you can already feel it. You can already say there's a woman who's going to give birth to a son, and the son is going to take away shame. Now, how Samuel takes away shame is just the shame of not having a child for Hannah. But we know Jesus is coming, and he's going to take away a different kind of shame. Luke chapter 1, verse 34 and 35. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy or separate or set apart. He's going to be called the Son of God. So one big difference here between Hannah and Mary is Mary wasn't looking to get pregnant. Mary was a virgin. She was just looking forward to getting married. But God comes to her and wants to join with her in a miraculous way and bring forth a son and call his name Jesus. And what is this Son of God going to do? What did, what did Samuel do? Samuel took away shame. So this son of God, he's going to take away shame. And you remember John the Baptist, the very first time he sees Jesus walking towards him, what does he say? Behold, what? The Lamb of God who takes away shame. Here's the son who takes away shame. But he's not going to just take away the shame of one person. He's the lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the whole world. 
See, this shadow back here in 1 Samuel now is coming to life in Jesus. He's going to not just take away Mary's shame. He's going to take away the whole world's shame. Now, I want to pause again here and say something briefly about the virgin birth. And the reason I want to say something about this is because with some frequency, this seems to be a thing that people get hung up on in terms of belief. And I'm, you know, I'm sympathetic to that. That's an incredible thing, a virgin birth. And I'm reminded of uh, an interview by Larry King. Larry King, the, the, the person who interviewed people, was once interviewed. And he was asked, if you could interview just one person from history, who would it be? And he said, well, I would want to interview Jesus Christ. Well, what question would you want to ask him? King responded, I would want to ask him if he was really born of a virgin. The answer to that question would define history. So it's an interesting thing that he would want to ask. And for, for some reason, King was like, that was a stumbling block. If I could just sort of get over that stumbling block of the virgin birth, then I could, then I could believe. And for many people, this virgin birth seems to be a stumbling block. And we can at least be sympathetic to why. And I would want to just say to those who might be struggling with the virgin birth, to look at some answers given by some of the brightest people on the planet about the birth of creation. So these people are all atheists. They wouldn't believe in anything miraculous. They certainly wouldn't believe in a virgin birth. But then you ask them, well, how did, how did we get started? So here are some of their answers. Princeton professor Peter Singer one of the world's most influential atheists, he was in a conversation and he was asked, why are we here? See, how did we all get here? The, the person he was, he was uh, debating was a Christian and they had sort of a biblical worldview. Well, what's, how do we get here if you don't believe the Bible and you don't believe in any kind of God? Here's what Peter Singer said. We can assume that somehow in the primeval soup, we got collections of molecules that became self-replicating. So here's one of the brightest people in the world that somehow some molecules got together and they became self-replicating, okay? Cambridge physicist, most of you all know this name, Stephen Hawking. His answer, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. Spontaneous creation is the reason there is something rather than nothing. This is why we exist, one final one, prominent atheist philosopher, Quentin Smith. The fact of the matter is that most, the most reasonable, reasonable belief is, okay, he's going to tell you he believes in something. The most reasonable belief is that we came from nothing, by nothing, and for nothing. We should acknowledge our foundation in nothingness. So I just want to say, if you don't believe in a virgin birth, you have a struggle with a virgin birth, maybe you have a struggle with a belief in God, these are the smartest people on the planet, and somehow what they've come up with is that molecules can become self-replicating, the universe creates itself from nothing, and our foundation is in nothingness. What does that sound like? Well, that sounds a lot like a virgin birth. Does it not? I mean, somehow something happened to nothing and it came to this. 
Well, I don't think it's that big of a step than to believe in a virgin birth. And I would say everybody actually believes in a virgin birth. It's just a matter of which virgin birth you believe in. So it doesn't seem like a big step in my mind when you consider alternatives of thinking about what God can do with Mary, a willing servant, which is my third point. Hannah and Mary were willing servants. Back to chapter 1 of 1 Samuel, Hannah is praying before the Lord, and she says this, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord, and she wept bitterly, and she vowed a vow, if you will look on the affliction of your servant, don't forget your servant, and please give your servant a son. Verse 18, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And when she went away, she ate, and her face was no longer sad. So Hannah and Mary are, Hannah's a willing servant, and she applies this, this word to herself four different times in these two verses. And what's important to notice is how Hannah's disposition changes. She comes in deeply distressed in the beginning of the prayer, and she, she leaves, and, and she, her face is no longer sad. Why is that? Well, she's prayed. She's poured her heart out to the Lord. And after she's prayed, she's not going to pick up her prayers again, try to take control. Why? She's a servant. She understands God's in complete control. And whatever God wants to do, I've given it to him. He actually owned it in the first place. And I'm willing to live with whatever God wants to do. So as a servant, Hannah understands that God's decisions are bigger than what her personal preferences are. And so she walks away no longer sad. God's answer was favorable to Hannah, as we know, and she does give birth to a son. Mary, this is a great verse, chapter 1, verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. If you are looking for a life verse, if you're looking for a verse just to, to write down and keep on your refrigerator for 2019, this, this would be a great verse. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. May it be to me according to his word. I'm going to live according to his word. He gets the words. I just live according to that word. It's not my word in 2019. It's not my word in my life. It's the Lord's word. And when Mary uses this word servant, it's a little different than maybe us, the word we might be used to. This Greek word is doulos, which is translated servant, but it's different than the word diakonos, which some of us would know as deacon. The diakonos servant is like a table waiter. The doulos servant is actually a slave. You see where Mary's positioned herself? I'm not just a servant of the Lord, like what does he want? I try to get that. No, I'm a slave. I'm actually owned by someone. And he's the owner of my life. And he gets to decide 
how my life pans out. And she says basically the same thing Hannah says is that God's decisions are bigger than my personal desires. So one contrast here, God answers, God, God uses Mary to bring forth a son, but one difference is from a public point of view, Hannah's birth brought celebration and lifted shame. Mary's birth from a public point of view brought humiliation and caused shame. See, Mary had to live her whole life with these whispers. Whose son is that really? What what happened back then? I wonder if God's happy with Mary. When she goes to the Christmas party, that's the kind of questions that get circled around when she's not in the circle of conversation. Hannah's prayer gets answered and publicly she's celebrated and it lifts her shame. Mary answers God's prayer with a yes. She's humiliated and has brought shame. And what these two great women teach us is that sometimes you and I are asked to do things and from a public point of view, bring celebration and lift shame. And then sometimes we're going to be asked to do some things and it's going to bring humiliation and cause shame. But both women are saying, may it be to me, as you say, not as the public says. See, what, what a great model to follow in 2019 as you think about your New Year's resolutions. Whether it means public celebration or public humiliation, whether it lifts shame or causes shame, I'm not primarily concerned about what the public says. I'm only concerned because I'm a slave. I'm owned by the Lord to do what he says. Final comparison. Hannah and Mary, when they hear about this news, and actually Hannah, after she gives birth, she breaks into a song. And you can see that in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel. And then you see this, what's called the Magnificat, or what's, what magnifies the Lord in Luke chapter 1. And what I want you to do is you just look at the passage in Luke, and I'm going to read some passages from Hannah's song, and you'll see how it compares. Uh, in verse 1 from Hannah's song, I rejoice in your salvation. Mary's song, verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Verse 2 from Hannah's song, there is none holy like the Lord. Verse 49 from Mary's song, holy is his name. Verse 3 from Hannah's song, talk no more, you proud. Verse 51 from Mary's song, he has scattered the proud. Verse 4 from Hannah's song, the bows of the mighty are broken. Verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from Mary's song. Verse 5, the hungry have ceased to hunger. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry. I wonder if Mary had turned their song in to turn it in. You know what that is? If you're in college or high school, you know what this is. This is the plagiarized, you know, website. So I write something and I turn it in and then they tell you, hey, you basically plagiarized this thing. 
And teachers use it when students turn in their work to make sure it's not plagiarized. I wonder if Mary had said, hey, I got this great song. I want to submit it to turn it in. And what would have come back? Mary, this sounds a lot like Hannah's song. I mean, you've, you've, you've switched some words here, but it's a whole lot like Hannah's song. And she's going to say, yes, because she was the shadow and I'm the real thing. And Samuel is a shadow, but Jesus is the real thing. All of these shadows from the Old Testament are driving us at great speed to say, I want you to be able to see Jesus. I want you to recognize him. When you run into him, you want to say, yes, I've been reading about him the whole time. So I want to conclude just with a few questions here. Mainly, why does all this matter? I mean, it's interesting, is it not? But why does it matter other than, well, I learned some interesting things. One, first of all, I think it's beautiful. I don't know if you're like this, but when I was growing up, we would always have a big 500-piece puzzle that we did at Christmas. You ever have this? So you bring out the puzzle, and you clear off, you know, some big table, and everybody just kind of circles around it and tries to figure out how to put the, you know, they're all puzzles of, like, blue sky, and you're like, who makes this stuff up? But when you got it all done, to me, therefore, if you like to work on it, and I did, it, you wanted to just stand and stare at it for a few minutes, did you not? Some of you are thinking, he, I think he's a little strange. But I would, I would actually put my hands on the puzzle. And I'd be like, wow, we got, it, we got it all together. And when you come to Jesus, you just want to say, wow, all these little pieces, they all fit together. And you just want to just admire it. You just want to stand and say, that's incredible. I I've read through Samuel so many times, I didn't see all the shadows that pointed to this beautiful person of Jesus. Number two, I think it gives you confidence in the Bible. The Bible isn't just some random stories put together, and then you go, well, we, so, and then Jesus in the New Testament. No, it's all one, ba- one great story. Number three, seeing Genesis 3 connected to 1 Samuel, connected to Luke is a call for you and I to consider where we are with Jesus this Christmas. 2018, 2019, 2050, one day, you and I are gonna stand before the judge. And there'll be an accuser there. But do you have someone just before your arrival that wipes that whiteboard all clean? Finally, especially if you're here as a member, Mary and Hannah are such great models of faithfulness. It's not enough just to say you're saved, you got to be a servant. I mean, lots of people can just say they're saved. But the proof of it, the display of it, is, hey, I'm owned. I was bought at a great price. And for me to live 
It's just according to God's word. My personal desires now are shrinking and God's words are magnified. Let it be to me according to God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, as we stand here and admire the beauty of this passage and especially are amazed at how you show us so much about yourself in the life of Hannah and Samuel. And you have brought these people here just for these few minutes to sing, to reflect and listen, and I pray to now think in their minds and hearts about where they stand with you. And how they live their lives. If there's anyone here that somehow is stuck, would you answer that by meeting them in their mind and their souls? If there are any of us here that feel like, well, we're saved, but we're just not servants, would you, would you use these faithful women, Mary and Hannah, to challenge us to live our lives according to your word? I pray in Jesus' name, amen.